that. If you can't hear us, <laughs> refresh your browser. Yeah, if you can't hear us, it's obviously you. Your computer's messed up. It could never be us. So, yes, of well, course. Maybe we're telling them this time if you can't hear us or see us, mm -hmm. then refresh your browser so that in the future, in if the they're future. like, I can't hear us, maybe yeah. I should refresh my browser. Thank well, you and it works because if you ever look in the Discord and someone's like, why can't I hear them? There's like 500 people that'll be like, refresh <laughs> your browser in all caps. <laughs> yeah. you do our booted my computer yeah. three times. You always tell me three times. <laughs> <laughs> What's been nice is by doing this over the last year and a half that there is so many people who do know the answer to will the slides be available? And the answer today is, ah. Uh, uh, the other one, will the recording be available? It's currently on YouTube right now. So if you can watch it at YouTube. And then what's all the other questions that we had? Uh, John Strand Bingo? I feel like that's become a, a question. Oh, we should do John Strand Bingo today. Is this yeah. recorded? Is this recorded? I'll yes. No, John Strand recorded. <laughs> we should yeah. start saying no. No. Are you asking, Ralph? Do you, do you not know? <laughs> no, no. Yes, you're right. I don't know. I don't know. But if you could tell me, I think that would help everyone else, right? Ralph, if you cannot hear me, let me know. <laughs> yeah, Ralph, just refresh your browser. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got a couple people with us today. We got Active Countermeasures is joining us, and then Shelby's also with Wallace Hacking Fest. She's joining us. Hello. DC is here. We got Dale Hobbs. He's a tester from across the border. He finally nabbed us one of those Canadians. To oh, kind of the, white, <laughs> the white walker. <laughs> Those el elusive Canadians. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty squirrely. Kind of <laughs> There's like 15 Canadians right here. Like, you son of the... Actually, that, oh, sorry. Yeah, we're sorry. <laughs> Are you sorry, Neil? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize for... I need to wear my sorry shirt today, though. I didn't... Uh, yeah. See? I should just wear it for everyone's house. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry you didn't wear it. Uh, Troy, where are you from? Uh, Virginia. <laughs> not as much fun. No, not originally. Anyways. Originally Connecticut, but uh, the last 20 plus years, Virginia. Also not as much fun. That's so judgy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Everything about your state sucks, obviously. So sorry for everyone else who lives there. That's how Jason wait, wait, feels wait, about where, it. Wait, where are you? Aren't you? Oh. You're not from Virginia, right? No. no I'm, in, I'm in Maryland. Oh, we're, oh, we're worse than you. I, so. Yeah, I was going to say. Virginia's for lovers. You have that. We're, we're the, yeah. the crab and heroin capital of the world. I'm Talk about drugs again. Okay. I have to say, though, Maryland has, like, the most pride in their state when it comes to, like, sports. Like, everybody seems to have, like, the, Mar the Maryland flag on their uniform. And, like, <gasps> I don't really understand what, that, what that's all about. But. It's a cool-looking flag. It, it is the most handsome, beautiful flag in all of the union. Here we I go. just threw it into the Discord channel. Right, so. <laughs> that looks like a racing car, a racing flag from NASCAR or something. Oh, somebody oh, would have on the side of their car. A lot going on with that That's flag. That's weird. Dale, we can't hear you. Like, you're evil. You. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, Troy. I mean, not we, as in like Jason and I, but we, we are surrounded by just a bunch of people who love Maryland. <laughs> All right, so speaking of Noah. <laughs> Where are you from? Yes. Uh, well, primary residence is on the earth, but technically I live in uh, <laughs> Iowa. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's probably even more boring than Maryland. 
Yes. No, I didn't say that. No, he no, thought no, it no, though. I, I did. At him. He, I could see the response. He was just thinking all of the bad things. It's he's bored. Yeah, it's all over your face, Jason. You don't have a poker face, by the way. I mean, I, I mean, I've got tons of though. exciting things. We have corn <laughs> and uh, cows. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more corn. Yeah. About yeah. it. There's some more corn. Yeah, and some more cows. You have 4-H fairs, right? Well, yeah, but that's due to the corn and the cows. The corn and the cows, right? You wouldn't have 4-H fairs without the corn and the cows. So I grew up in Indiana, so I know all about the corn and the cows. Yeah. 4-H fairs. Occasionally there's pigs, but pigs. corn, cows, so, pigs. That's that's what Iowa has. Are there people in Iowa that are allergic to the pollen that corn produces? Um. I'm not aware of any, but they probably wouldn't last long if they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Does corn produce pollen? I've never heard of that before. Uh, well, I mean, it would have to produce a certain amount, but. Well, I feel, can someone look up? Does corn produce pollen? Well, so there are people who have celiac who are, like, they can't have corn. Is that right? Corn produces pollen? Yeah. Oh, that, that's a Google search that I don't think is going <laughs> to. That Google search doesn't work. Oh, we have a John Strand. He's early? I am a little bit early. 24 minutes early. Apparently, apparently pollen from the tassels needs to land on the silks of other corn in order for the corn to... uh... What the hell did I just come into? (laughs) (laughs) Is this plant porn? Is that what's going on? (laughs) This is the birds and the bees talk when it comes to corn, John. Birds and the bees. Oh my god. Corn supposedly has pollen. Go. <laughs> this is good. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Hey, yeah, everyone, if you're here and you're listening, this is not the webcast. <laughs> this is just a tribute of the webcast. This is a tribute. Emergency <laughs> webcast. Does corn Best produce webcast all. ever? John, <laughs> can you turn your webcam to 16 by 9 to be like the rest of us, please? Hold on. I've got to do that. <laughs> well, no. Also, it's all, it's always fun when you show up like just in time, John, because we have like, you know, the slide roulette ready. Wh- who's going to present what? And it's uh, you're just getting it ready. Yeah. Speaking of slides, do you have those? I do actually. Have I sound slides. judgy. Did I sound judgy? It, it sounds it a little, little judgy. Let me share them with you all. Um, that I, was didn't, not what I, I didn't wanted. mean for it to be judgy. Sure you didn't. I know. Talking about it, it sounds judgy, but before it did not. Okay, so once I add. Once you add. Okay. That's right. I apparently have lost my slides now. Mm. I've got too much screen real estate going on here. Three minutes. They were ransomed. This is how you keep Discord chat entertained. BHSIS knows how to do it. Thank you, Crit Witch. Is that CJ That's in the awesome. background? I'm glad someone notices. <laughs> right. I didn't know he lived with you. Yeah. He, he has CJ. always lived on the couch at Black Hills headquarters. Oh. <laughs> got a BHIS couch. That's good. <laughs> I could just see it just like ingrained, like, you know with the BHIS logo in it and stuff. <laughs> I mean, it'd be cool, right? You could do it. You could do it classy. Do it in sure. leather. Oh, we got a bit of a swift, what, what is it? Sw- slipknot. 
conversation going on in the Discord channel because they're from Iowa and we were talking about Iowa, which led to corn. Did oh. not expect Slipknot to be from Iowa. <laughs> really? Wow, Dan. Even though they had that album called Iowa? Outside that, I don't listen to Slipknot too much, but just looking at the picture, that's not what I imagine Iowans to look does. Yeah. Oh, no, we no all one expects like Slipknot from Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> no one just gets dressed up for these webcasts, but normally that's how we dress. Yeah, up. yeah. Like you find me like any other time. That's what I look like. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I was all. So I was, that's what I look like in my basement. <laughs> so far, we've lost anyone from Iowa, anyone from Virginia, and people any who are Canadian who are numerous and now Slipknot fans. Uh, people who are Canadian are sorry. All right. Jail's <laughs> <laughs> like, be quiet. They won't know. <laughs> uh, let's see islands. make john presenter right john click. so early we were not expecting you no gotta make sure i've got the right screen get screen Jeez, one make sure there's no updates can you yes. guys see my screen i can't yes. we did oh, it's gone it's back is it a slide oh. a powerpoint slide Yes. Yep. Yes. Oh no, that's your email inbox. Why are you showing us that? <laughs> Done that a couple of times. Oh. Well, yeah, I've got. I've gotten the call afterwards. Like Jason, you need to bring down the recording right away. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Look. It's, a, it's been about thirty minutes in. Popped up my email. Um. Only a couple people saw. You're good. Yeah. Speaking of which, I should close out my calendar. There we go. Oh, we got good registrations for this. Yeah. 2,700 is not bad. I mean, it's not bow numbers, but, you know. Yeah. We might yeah, I registered twice. Numbers, so. Super cool. All right. Well, I'm going to go off camera for a little bit. I'm going to get some coffee, and I will be right back. Nice. Yes. All right. Closing. Sweet. Now we can talk about him behind his back. I did it seconds before you. Look at that. Uh, fine. You tagged John, though. That was nice little... Oh, yeah, delete that. Uh, I, I, out I, here. But I did put the slides inside good webinars. So if anyone wants to grab... If you're an attendee here and you're like, I would like the slides and I don't want to go to Discord, then feel free to just grab that here from good webinar. In the interface, you should... I don't know, because I don't get to see the interface that you do. Uh, but there's a handouts button. In theory, <laughs> there is. We have right. confirmation of that. I think. Once. Let us know. Let us let us know. Yeah, I think yeah. it looks like a couple pieces of paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're gonna play bingo. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I, I, is this like a thing that you do in the longer classes? Uh, am I missing this? Shelby, have you seen the bingo take place yet? Um, I know in one of John's classes, he did the John Strand bingo, where it's yeah. um, looking for different phrases he uses very often. So is yeah. that what you're talking about? Yeah. So we have to find a way to randomize it because uh, that's going to be the next step. Because right now it's everyone gets the same bingo. So at some point, yeah. everyone's going to get the same thing if you're paying attention. Uh, <laughs> like you're all yelling bingo at one time as long as you're actually following along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is fantastic, though. Have you seen that? Uh, what's that other one? The uh, like the Zoom bingo cards or whatever. That that those are really came out and became popular as soon as uh, yeah. you know COVID hit. Mm -hmm. You're on mute. Yeah, you're on mute. Can you hear me? Um, 
just loud dogs or other family members, you know, barking. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of stuff like that. It's pretty okay. funny. So Conrad Belmont said cocaine rent has to be a space in BHS bingo. It is. It is. <laughs> it is the free oh. space. <laughs> no, Rita is the free space because we're going to talk about Rita at some point. It's guaranteed <laughs> we will talk about Rita at yeah, some point. Garbage and dragon. Dragon. Like, I've got a hard stop. That's, a, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I don't think that's on there. Just let yeah. everyone know right now. Uh, I got a hard stop before this webcast begins. <laughs> <laughs> gotta let, like, who thought of this stuff, right? Like, who's like, uh, I have to leave it too. But no, we have to be like, I have a hard stop. Like, this is, I can't, I can't, I can't go on, guys. I just, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I will be a conversation. Gone. <laughs> Mid conversation, gotta go. Hard, hard stop. <laughs> As opposed to a soft stop where you have to yeah. go just at some point. No idea when. <laughs> it just fall off. Yeah. Soft so stop. for everyone, it's like you, you end your sentence and then you stop. <laughs> everyone in Discord right now, if you have things that should be in a Black Hills Information Security Bingo game for one of our webcasts, please just go ahead and drop it in now. We'll keep track. We'll copy and paste them and add them to this bingo thing that we can create where we can randomize and then we'll have prizes at some point in the future especially i can talk about it because we have a date yeah i don't have a date for anyone to sign up though october 15th and 16th that's two days it's the 24-hour pre-show banter con oh it's so 24 hour pre-show banter con and that's it that's all i have to say excitement. <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited about that. I totally want to be on it. Actually, I don't even really work at BHIS. I just show up for this, so I'm not. <laughs> yeah, Ralph, we let you go a couple weeks ago. Yeah, no, yeah. I actually started off as just the guy filling the um, candy machine at <laughs> BHIS, but you know, stay around. Yeah. You have a candy machine? Yeah, we do. Um, we just nobody told you about it. So oh, Ralph. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week. It's fine. All right, cool. Sounds good. Yeah, I got a list of grievances. <laughs> Did someone's computer just reboot? What was that? <laughs> John? <laughs> I just <laughs> I just want to be on a conference once speaking of that and just you know, you know how you hear like some notification and someone's just like, You got mail. I'm just what the <laughs> <laughs> AOL, dude, come on. Where am I? So Chris Brenton has the best phone ringer on his phone. It is the sound yeah. of 1990s internet dial-up. Mm-hmm. So when he gets a call, like, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I grew up with 90s <laughs> internet, so I have like immediate, what the? <laughs> oh, it was so fast back then, so fast. <laughs> I had 56k at one point. I mean, I don't want to brag or flex on anybody, but yeah, that that was a that's a mean flex, man. That's a mean mm-hmm. flex. I had so many of those hundred-hour AOL CDs. I was going through them like crazy. New name every week. <laughs> is is AOL actually still around? I I, I think so. In is. like spirit. I've actually met somebody that still has Yahoo. an AOL email. Yeah. That's oh, actually how you can tell how old someone is if they still have an AOL email. Yeah. Or Hotmail. Yahoo? Earthlink. 
Earthlink. Oh my God, that was Earthlink. Yes, it's like nothing attached itself to everything. I I would say Earthlink is probably how lazy you are, but (laughs) (laughs) well, there is actually AOL.com is still actually up. It looks like a no. I know, and if you ever get AOL.com addresses, yeah, if you get one, you know they're not twenty. Not, not, not a fact. Rocket Mail came back too. What's up? Rocket Mail. I think Rocket Mail came back. Like, wasn't it like uh, a Rocket Mail was like an offshoot of like a Yahoo? Like they added they they added extra domains because they because people like wanting to have like their that like having like random numbers and stuff like that. They wanted to have their name dot whatever. Mm-hmm. So they they brought in a lot of old legacy domains to help that out. One day, so, somebody would be like, I don't know if anyone. Rem- yeah, go ahead. I, say, I don't know if anyone remembers that when Hotmail first came out, uh, it was hard for it to catch on because people thought it was H O T M A L E Hotmail, not Hotmail. <laughs> I swear, Jason probably has that domain. <laughs> 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 it's just a it's just a picture of John Strand. <laughs> like both of them? Both John Strand. <laughs> what I was expecting, what I got. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh perfect. Perfect troll. That'll get the internet going. <laughs> All right. So if you're watching right now, this is not the webcast. The webcast will begin in 12 minutes. If uh, at any point you're like, what is this? Uh, this is the Black Hills Information Security slash Active Data Manager slash Wild West Hacking Fest webcast today. We're all coming together to do this special webcast on ransomware. Why? Because it's a thing. Like it's, it's a thing that we try not to talk about ransomware on the news. But then we don't really have much else to talk about because that's just really. I feel like that's all we've been talking about recently. But mm-hmm. it's it's definitely on the tick upward. Uh, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's happening more often and, um, you know, mm-hmm. bigger than yeah. before. And it, mm-hmm. it's one of those things, too, where if, like, one criminal syndicate does something and they're successful at it, another one's like, oh, we works. should get into ransomware. Yeah. There's, like, a. They have like a staff meeting. We're like, all right, everybody, we're getting into ransomware this week. You know so, that that conversation happened. Like it has to, right? Yeah. Like in their weekly business meeting, they talk about it. So for everyone who doesn't know, you know, ransomware started with just ransomwareing one person. Uh, and it one was. Individual, yep. Yeah, one individual. And it started mostly, uh, now we could debate this, but mostly in Europe. And they would, you know, compromise one computer, you know, and this person would get a message saying, hey, you know, you owe, if you don't pay me 100 euros, uh, you know, we're going to rate, you know, not give you the decryption for all your files. And so it was very like targeted and, you know, kind of shooting fish in the barrel type examples, right? I mean, obviously this one person probably didn't have a great password or great security, um, but it is a vault. And now we're talking millions of dollars. So. See, the, the thing I don't get, and I know I'm a bit jaded whenever it comes to the topic of ransomware, is why did it take this long? <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, like if you're looking at like the whole hacker space and attacks and everything, 
you go back years ago, it was just techie geeky people trying to create malware and do, you know, cool stuff with it. And why, why did it take this long? Like, and everyone was worried about stealing credit cards for a long time. And I think the credit card companies <laughs> got, got their poop in a group, but it, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, we're 15 years into computer security and hacking and all this. And finally someone wakes up and like, wait a minute, oh. what if we just locked people out of their computer and they paid us? Um, and I know Bitcoin coming on the scene was probably um, part of it, but having the ability to get paid anonymously is, is huge. But but seriously, blame that's, crypto. I see how yeah, it is. Blame crypto. Blame <laughs> crypto. Oh, it's just the right. Maybe it took that right place at the right time. <laughs> it's just. I, mean, it's, I, think it was, I think part of it too is the fact that, like, at least a lot of these campaigns started off where people were focused on exfiltration and stuff, and looking at that egress point where. Where a lot of malware didn't need to do that. It just needed to go in there and hijack the data. It didn't need to exfiltrate anything. It just needed to, to encrypt and delete stuff, mm-hmm. and then just say, "We want the keys, come and get them." So it kind of oh. just a little different approach to to having a successful campaign. See, Troy, I think that that's really good because you may be able to get compromised, but that C two may not happen. Now you don't care if the C two happens. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe yeah. it took, maybe yeah. it took that long because they were hoping that if they were slow enough, that we just wouldn't notice. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, the one thing I want to go back to is like get away from ransomware. Just start mining cryptocurrencies. Like I, I like that as an attack methodology. It's like we took over a network that has 150,000 nodes and we're mining cryptocurrency on it. There you I, go. I guess by some estimates, the current ransomware industry is a billion dollar industry. That's huge. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, is I'm, that just is that just Mandian's take of the yeah, IRL? No, yeah, that's uh, that's re- retainer. Um, <laughs> that's the retainer. That's the retainer base of Mandiant. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, it's, it's, it's like everybody. It's, it's like, hey, we're hacked. Where do we go? Mandiant. Um, <laughs> go to those guys. I mean, we even do it. It's like, <laughs> we just got hacked. Who do we call? Uh, just call these guys. Uh, they'll, they'll do it for you. Hey, John, do you have people in the background talking? No. Who has people in the background talking? I, I took care and of all Dale. the people. Is it Dale? It might be me. I think I it's think Dale. It's Dale. All right. yeah. Just checking it's John, because if it's John, then we have to ask this. <laughs> we have to, we have to we fix that. Ordered. Yeah. It's we Dale. Do that one thing where you like, would you duct tape a bunch of people and just, you know, hold them over? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Is you that said your many for everything? Don't worry. If you hear children all screaming right. in the background, it's okay. It's okay, just right. children screaming in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Radis says can't mine, no GPUs. That's not correct. There are some types of cryptocurrency that do not require GPUs to mine. So it's also, I mean, you, John's going to come out with a new cryptocurrency just for this, just to like move away from ransomware. <laughs> we'll call it ransomware coin. Let's call yeah. it what it is. Um, we're going to fork oh, Ethereum oh. again. It's ransomware coin. Oh, that needs a t shirt. Oh, Ralph, Ralph, you mentioned a new one on, on news a couple of weeks back called Chia that uses disk space or something. Yeah. I tried it out and it says like 57 years to generate one. I'm like, uh, I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, it's, well, it, it doesn't take that long to make a plot, but yeah, it uses disk space. It's wrecked the hard drive market. Go, go look for a hard drive now. Everything's like three, three times what it was. How does it use disk space to calculate? Well, it, it's proof of space as opposed to proof of work. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you, you make these little plots, and they take up a certain amount of space, and oh, then no. they can use cryptographic functions to validate that, you know, that is a valid block, and then that's how you mine it. So 
This okay. sounds petabytes are the new gigabyte. I can see that one was created by like Seagate. They're like, oh, yeah. uh, how do we get in on this? <laughs> Let's create our own cryptocurrency based. <laughs> and now like Samsung and Dell is going to be like, we're going to come up with a cryptocurrency that's based on screen size. So people are buying <laughs> our monitors. <laughs> that, that reminds me of the old, uh, what was that? Um, million dollar homepage where you're selling pixels on his screen. Right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you could basically get your ad space on his page. Is that still out there? It's still a thing. There were so many uh, copycats. It was crazy. <laughs> I got to see if it still exists. The bigger your ultra wide is, the more coins you get. Oh, it's still there. It's, the million yeah, it dollar is, yeah. homepage is there, and it's now officially sold out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just a reminder of things. So much heavily pixelated on. porn there. So much heavily pixelated porn. Uh, just a reminder, the webcast has not begun yet. It will begin in five minutes. You're, this is your first time at one of our webcasts. Thanks for joining us. If this is not, then you're like, that's no, just normal. Uh, we show up early because you show up early. You show up early because we show up early. It's called pre-show banter. Uh, it's a way for us to just talk. And, you know, there's thousands of people. And John doesn't get stressed out when he talks to thousands of people. But the rest of us do. And so this is a way for us to get comfortable talking to everyone. Uh, our team here will be on the back end answering questions in good webinar. We'll be answering questions inside Discord. If you haven't joined our Discord server yet, the link is here inside of GoToWebinar and you can join that. You have a five minute wait time before you can chat and that's just so that you don't post anything terrible because if anyone does, then either Deb or I have to go out and clear it out and that's just not good. We don't want to do that to ourselves. No, don't do that. So, yeah. so they're saying that heavily pixelated porn will be one of the bingo cards. <laughs> there we go, we're gonna add that in. I like uh, the, uh, the million dollar homepage. I hovered over free hosting. Um, the mouse over is awesome. It's like Globot.com. No, we're not crazy. We're Americans. As though that's going to make people feel better. Um, uh, imagination, Jim. Perfect. Post Gator. Men only with a gun. Rent click. Oh my God, this is so awesome. <laughs> Look at this. John's just gone down a rabbit hole. We lost it's him. Like, that's the oh, webcast guys, now. That's the webcast. That's Has everyone seen John? Where's John? I'm going to go through and click every single one and see which ones are active. <laughs> I was like scanning old QR codes from like 20 years ago. <laughs> Checking your phone. Nope, that didn't kill it. Scan. <laughs> nope, that didn't kill it. Scan. <laughs> like Russian so, roulette. Yeah, in our zine, we have a, you'll see it, uh, but there's a QR code in the zine. And I'm just excited about anyone that's going to scan it. Ooh. Just, there you go. You should mm -hmm. you should have put like gift card ones in there. My my wife for some reason I found a bunch of gift cards that she had and like she was emptying her purse. Like all these gift cards and I'm like looking and seeing if they still had money on them. Like going through the whole process. Gift cards? You mean GIF cards? Yeah. GIF <laughs> GIF <Jiffed> cards. <laughs> you just broke half the people listening. Like, yeah, what? Done. It's pronounced GIF card. GIF man. Three minutes. Actually, I think there's only like three people in the world that call it a GIF instead of a GIF, and two of those people are Tim Tomes. Yeah. <laughs> they really hold on to that. Just not letting that go. Although we can get associated as two people. <laughs> yep. Holmes is like that. All right, we just broke the six 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 mark on uh, attendees, which always makes me feel so go well. So go well. It, it hovered one time on 666 attendees, and I was like, eh, come on, one more, one more, 
one more. And then someone left. And I was like, not like no, that. No, we're going backwards. <laughs> Two minutes. Two minutes. So this is about ransomware, John? It is, again. It's like, yeah. I'm just giving up. It's just ransomware all the time. I, I hate, right. I hate all of our webcasts will now just be that. <laughs> just went ransomware because that's computer security today. Um, it's nothing but ransomware. And if you can solve ransomware, security solved. Yeah. Uh, before we get started next week, we will be in Reno, Nevada. So there won't be any webcast next week, but we will be streaming live. So if you would like to attend the Wild West, Way West Hackenfest or Way West Wild West Hackenfest, which is happening next week in Reno, Nevada, there's still an opportunity for you to get a ticket. Um, that's, you don't have to, but if you want to, yeah, you should uh, get a ticket. Yeah. Yeah, we got an escape room. We got backdoors and breaches tournaments. We got speakers and presenters. We got all kinds of stuff happening. We got Meta CTF. We've got a swag bag lab that involves mm -hmm. FM radios transmitting in stereo, Morse code, all of it. It's good stuff. So that's still available. It's our first in-person conference. It's a hybrid. It's in-person. It's also virtual. And it's a way for us to get back into the saddle. Uh, that's why we call it back in the saddle. But it's also like we haven't done this in a while. So there's some of us like, how do we do a conference again? Like, oh, that's right. We need a booth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do we do? We have a booth. <sighs> I think it's in this duffel bag. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One minute. If you are not going to be on camera, please go ahead and kill your microphone and turn off your camera at this point. That's everyone but me and John. I got a hard it's stop. It's just us. It's just us. Just the two of us. We can make it. All right, everybody, welcome to this joint special webcast with Active Countermeasures, Black Hills Information Security, and Wallace Hackenfest, presented by John Strand on new wave of ransomware attacks. How did this happen? If this is your first time joining us, you can always join us on Discord or here and go to webinar. You can ask questions at any time. We have a team of people on the back end that answer your questions the best we can. But we don't scale as well as our, you know, everyone else does. So if you can ask questions in Discord, you're going to get a probably more faster answer. And with that, John, I'm turning it over to you. It's all yours. Have fun. Thank you so much. I want to make sure everyone can see my slides um, before we get too terribly crazy. So if I can I, get a verbal, my slides are, that's all I need. As long as you can see it, we're good to go. Um, so this particular presentation, um, so if you spend any time with Black Hills Information Security on stuff, there's a couple of things um, that you see show up as themes. Like I mentioned Rita a lot. So if you're doing the bingo card, that that's going to be a freebie. That's in the middle. Um, threat intelligence feeds, I, I talk about those a lot. I'm going to talk about it again today. But one of the things I try not to talk about is ransomware. And it's getting to the point where it's almost impossible to not talk about ransomware because it's sucking up all the oxygen in the world of computer security. And the presentation that I did a couple of weeks ago, I talked about some things that we can do to help like protect ourselves against ransomware and some of the things we can do to kind of mitigate the overall damage that's done by ransomware. And then we had a whole bunch more attacks. Um, it's just like, it seems like every day there's like another two or three attacks to the point where even large organizations getting compromised with ransomware doesn't even really make the mainstream news anymore. And people tend to freak out. And I wanted to talk about how we got here. And I, I think this is part of me becoming an, an, an old gray beard in computer security. Um, I've been doing computer security now for 21 years, um, which is almost getting to the point of ridiculousness. But um, I've been doing it a long time, and there's people that have been doing it as long as I have, and there's trends that we see all the time. 
And I like James B's, the, you know, the new wave of ransomware attacks. Why the F does this keep happening? And I think that that's a great title um, already. Maybe that's going to be the next webcast title as well. I like that. Also, if you hear me kind of communicating with people, Discord is where we chat. Um, and we have the Discord link. If you're just on GoToWebinar, you can actually just pull down that Discord link from GoToWebinar in the chat window. It should be available there to you. So let's go ahead and let's jump straight in. Um, what we're going to cover today is a bit weird. I'm not going to get into a lot of tech, and I apologize for that. Um, I, I try to, every time I do a webcast, I try to make sure that there's a technical component associated with the webcast that people can take back to work and they can basically implement at work to make their lives better. It's one of those guiding principles. Even if it's something as, as dumb as trying to get Racine to work on a computer system that's rebooting and updating software and a VM that's updating software and then a second backup computer system that's updating software. Even at that, I try to leave people with something technical that they can do um, whenever they leave. In this particular one, I'm not. Um, I'm going to very, very quickly just kind of go over some recent attacks that have showed up and how this is kind of occupying the mind space right now of computer security, especially whenever we're talking about ransomware, we're talking about recovery of tokens um, and how that actually plays in the way that we're trying to secure our environments. And then I'm going to talk about how we got here. And basically what I want to discuss is we have companies that we see that have problems. There's structural problems in the way that they're approaching computer security. And there's some fundamental things that can be blamed for those structural problems that exist in the computer security of those organizations. And I wanna talk about this from the perspective of, I want you, uh, the people that are the current and future generations of computer security professionals to kind of start pushing back against some of the garbage that we're dealing with in the industry. And I'm probably gonna make some people mad. Like whenever I get to certification, accreditation, and compliance, I don't have a lot of really good things to say about that. And I know that there's going to be people, people that I'm friends with that disagree vehemently, vehemently with me, and they're really smart people, but I, I'm going to try to make my case to a problem like certification, accreditation, and compliance, and why I think that that is a problem. Also, I'm going to kind of go through some signs that things are not healthy in your organization. Um, you can kind of set this up as just a quick list that John put together at 4 a.m. of companies that we do a pen test for. When we hear of these problems in the organization, we know the organization is screwed. Um, they're going to have systematic issues from beginning to end throughout the entire organization. It's going to be a painful pen test. And then at the end, we're probably going to end up like firing that customer and never working with that customer again. And I'm putting this out to everybody because I want you to be able to identify these problems in your organizations so that you can get out and get another job somewhere. And then I'm going to talk about blind spots. And yes, I'm going to talk about threat intelligence yet again, because I can't get through a webcast without talking about it. So what are the different like breaches that we're seeing? Um, so if you all could do me a favor on Discord, just start posting links of the ransomware attacks that you've seen. Um, right now, if you go to Google News and you just search on ransomware hack or ransomware attack, um, all the oxygen is sucked up by one particular ransomware attack that I can't talk about. Um, but that's all of the news stories, but there's been a bunch of other ones like 
Um, if you're looking at law enforcement, uh, the law enforcement, uh, the sheriff's offices and things like that have been compromised. There's been a number of cases where the ransomware attackers have either shut down computer systems or they've actually gone through and they've threatened to release sensitive data that would, would actually get people killed. And that just kind of sucks. Um, you have Scripps was compromised, cyber attack on transportation and logistics. We're seeing a surge all over the place. And in the previous webcast, I talked about how when we're looking at computer security, we have this consistent problem that shows up again and again and again. And that problem is every single industry believes that they're a precious and unique and wonderful snowflake. That if you're working in DOD, well, DOD's got a whole bunch of systems from 2004, 1999, 2005, and pff, there's Nothing we can do to update those servers because, you know, reasons. And nobody else has these problems, so we need to get an exception. You go to medical and they say, well, we have a whole bunch of legacy hardware that's really expensive, like MRI machines and dialysis machines and testing machines. And those are really old and super fragile. And if they go down, someone could die. And then you go to financial institutions like banks. They're like, yeah, at the heart of our bank is an AS400 running something like Rack F. We could update it, but ah, it's really hard. And we're a precious, unique snowflake. And if we go down, then there's going to be pandemonium in the streets and people might die due to riots. And you see this show up again and again and again and again. And it's being used as a crutch across the entire security industry for every single market vertical to not improve security, right? Because you have an excuse. You have an excuse to basically sit down and say, well, we can't fix that. And I'm going to come back to that here in just a little bit where we constantly say we can't fix that for a variety of different stupid reasons that are just horrific. And I'm going to revisit that here in a couple of moments. But you're seeing this now is across the entire industry. You're seeing schools get shut down, hospitals get shut down, law enforcement agencies getting shut down, uh, meat processors getting shut down. It is absolutely insane. It's not just one specific market vertical. And traditionally, it kind of followed that pattern. So you'd have like hospitals would be hit in Europe. And there'd be a whole bunch of hospitals that would get hit. And then you would start seeing hospitals get hit in the United States. And the attackers at that particular point, they were kind of doing copycat hacking where they'd say, well, hospitals must be insecure. And it's almost as though the attackers have sat down and said, hey, everything's insecure. It's game on. And I also believe that, and we're going to talk about this more a little bit later, that a lot of organizations believe that they're not targets, but they totally are targets. And we can no longer be looking at computer security from the perspective of the obscure, like, oh, we're some small company in the middle of the United States, and there's absolutely no reason for us to bother trying to secure our systems, because who would want to hack us, right? So we're seeing this now explode because I believe the attackers have realized, one, there's money, a lot of money there, and two, they're seeing that this particular type of issue of insecurity is something that is endemic across the entire industry as a whole. And by the way, I like to say it's raining hacks. I was really tired this morning. I haven't slept well in days. And uh, I, I, I thought it would be fun to put in a Weather Girls reference. Seemed like a good idea this morning, I guess. All right. So how do we get here? How do we get to the point um, is that the man back on the bowl? Well, that's, that's, that's CJ Cox, our CO. Apparently I'm annoying him. So he's out in the entryway. 
uh, working. So we banished him over there, right? So we're seeing these problems across the security industry as a whole. And we're seeing it across multiple different sectors. And there's got to be somebody that we can blame. And I do believe that there are actually organizations and people that we can actually blame. And it's hard because I'm going to end up blaming people and organizations that have actually been trying to help make the world a better place, but I don't think it actually works that way. Okay. And I, I, I think, I think it's important to kind of sit down and say, how did we get here? as an industry, because I feel like it's incumbent upon me and my generation of old potential, like, like budding gray beards to kind of tell a bunch of young whippersnappers and people that are coming up in the industry, Hey, don't do this. Like this didn't work like really well at all. And I want to start with compliance. Now, whenever we're talking with compliance, I'm just going to be blunt. Compliance tends to fail. It does. I don't think the compliance secures organizations. And I know that there's going to be people that want to argue with me, and that's fine. I'm not just going to say they're wrong. I'm going to say that's a debate that we need to have. But for the love of God, we need to have the debate. And the reason why I'm, I'm very concerned about the state of compliance in the industry is whenever you go in and you start trying to be, quote unquote, compliant, Filling out the spreadsheet, filling out the documents, filling out all these things becomes the end goal. And that end goal becomes this whole like problem of meeting the absolute minimum. When compliance documents came out, they were designed to kind of give people guidance as far as what they should do for securing their environments. It wasn't necessarily designed when it started to say, here's all the things to secure the systems. Now, if you go back to the Rainbow series, it was. But over time, when you start looking at NIST and you start looking at all these different compliance frameworks, it was really just kind of giving people some guidance and some directive. And it's kind of was meant to be a mental checklist to say, here's the things we should be cognizant of. We should be looking at strong passwords. We, we should be patching systems. We should probably be doing an asset inventory on our environment. And that was a noble objective for all these organizations. Because anytime we enter into some type of huge, um, anytime we end up with any type of huge, uh, like, like huge security attack, like the, the biggest one that, that kind of like shaped my career was back in 2003 was Blaster. So the Blaster worm, um, you know, spread across the world and uh, 03026 was the vulnerability, a remotely exploitable vulnerability in DCOM on Windows computer systems. And it brought down the Eastern Seaboard's power grid. And I know there's a bunch of people that say it didn't. It totally did. Um, it was in, I think it was in August of 2003. And it was interesting because there was a lot of backdoor, uh, backroom conversations about how we can actually develop a framework and the government can come in and we can start securing the stuff. You start getting into NERC SIP and all kinds of different compliance frameworks that came out from that. And the goal was we we're going to get a bunch of bureaucrats and security people in the room. And a lot of times they weren't even technical people that would get in the room. And we come up with a series of guidance out there and we would secure our systems. And that doesn't work. And a couple of reasons why it doesn't work. The first reason it doesn't work is a lot of times when people are writing compliance certification and accreditation documents, the people that are creating them are not technical. 
I know that this is a shock to many of you because you would think that the people that are creating the guidance that's going to propel the industry into the 21st century would be the best and brightest minds, and they're not. I've worked with a lot of these people, and they're great. They're well-intentioned people, and this is my first disclaimer, right? Um, they're well-intentioned people, and they're trying to do the right thing, and they will defend what they're doing, believing that what they're doing is the right thing, and they're going to try really hard to help, and their heart is absolutely in the right place. But they start going down these rabbit holes, and they start going down like weird unicorn-type hacks. They don't actually understand what real attacks look like. They Many times they haven't worked IR gigs at all. So they sit around and they talk about compliance, certification, and accreditation, and they know nothing. I mean, you could use a Game of Thrones analogy, right? You know nothing, Jon Snow. And I've been in these rooms with these people whenever they're talking about these things. And if you have someone that is technical that starts talking about these things, a lot of times that person is just ignored. You know, if you start talking about password complexity and you say, look, we need to up our password complexity to something bigger than seven characters, PCI, I'm talking to you. Then you have a bunch of people in the room like, yeah, well, there's a bunch of legacy systems and they can't handle passwords longer than that. So I don't think that we should make that a certification accreditation compliance level. And those people win. It's not actually the technical people that are making the determination. And the Center for Internet Security tried really hard and they did a good job for a long time where they were setting up things like the, uh, the hardening guides. And they would get the smartest people for cloud security and Windows and Linux and they build these guides and that was great. But we didn't really see that transfer into a lot of compliance frameworks. Of course, the 20 critical controls are pretty awesome because they were tied to these things. That's a whole nother conversation. But seriously, when you're looking at compliance documents, you have a whole bunch of people that aren't technical trying to come up with what they should impose upon an industry. They many times go back to previous compliance documents, and they basically carry a lot of luggage forward. I always use the example of the NIST Green Book series, where the NIST Green Book series says, hey, your password should be eight characters long. In 1985, PCI, it was eight freaking characters. You can do better. And they basically said that your password needed to be changed every three months. And then that particular bad password policy continues forward for decades. All right. So when you're looking at compliance, I believe the fundamental most like core problem of compliance and certification and accreditation is people try to meet the minimum. That is their goal. They try to meet the minimum. And somebody had mentioned uh, management, right? So when you're talking about management, compliance makes sense. I do these 150 things, will be secure. And in their head, they equate compliance with security and compliance is not security. At its very, very basis, it should be like bedrock foundational. It should not be what you're aspiring to achieve. It should be the damn floor. And organizations don't treat it as the damn floor. They treat it as the pinnacle of what they should be going. And we kind of allow this to happen in the security industry. I don't know why, I don't know how, but a lot of security professionals Whenever we get bowled over by management, we get bowled over by compliance and audit and all these different things, it's almost like we feel like it's not a winnable fight. Folks, this is our turf. You know, if, if somebody's doing something crazy and stupid, like setting minimum password character lengths to seven characters, there should be someone in the freaking room that stands up and is like, that's stupid, and push back on that. 
gently, like a lover. But we need to be pushing back on this stuff. Now, I would like to say that we need to get away from documents that tell organizations how to secure their crap. And we need to move more towards a GDPR framework. I would like to propose here for all of you, hopefully we'll be in rooms where you're going to talk about computer security and you're going to talk about compliance at some point in the future. Those of you that will be the future decision makers and the current decision makers, how about this? How about we move away from telling people how to secure their environments and instead tell those people the damages and the fines and the penalties they will have to pay if they get hacked? And this is what GDPR does. And that's why I like GDPR because it's an accountability framework. It is not a compliance framework. And that simple difference makes a huge difference in companies that are operating in Europe and European countries where they basically, when GDPR was first coming out, they would say things like, oh my God, John, we need to be compliant with GDPR. What do we do? There's no guidance. It's basically saying, hey, if you're kind of negligent and you didn't do a good job of securing things, we're going to take 5% of your profits. How's that sound? That bites. That matters because now there's a direct dollar amount associated with not doing anything in computer security. It doesn't give us guidance. It doesn't give us this, this minimum that we're setting out to achieve. It's this nebulous thing for management that says, hey, you get hacked. There's going to be financial penalties. And up until recently with ransomware, and even with ransomware, there haven't been financial penalties. If you look at a lot of the companies that have been compromised, like if you look at Sony, you look at Target, you look at Equifax, almost every one of these companies where they get compromised, there's a little dip in their stock price, and then it goes right back up to where it was, and the shareholders, i.e. management, they don't care because their bottom line was not hit. We need to find a way that we can have accountability frameworks for computer security that actually does hold people accountable for having crappy security. And yes, I absolutely, completely agree that there are going to be good companies that are working really, really, really hard at doing the proper things in security, and they're still going to get compromised. I believe that there has to be an assessment framework. If a company did everything right, let's do solar winds as an example, right? It's like an act of God. It's, you know, the Russians were able to hack into solar winds, push updates to Orion servers. I, I don't think that uh, companies should really be held accountable for things like that. But there are far too many companies out there that are doing no security at all or paying lip service to computer security. And if they get hacked, they should be penalized. We've had companies, I'm not joking, that have used access databases where they automatically generate a web page for the access database, and they were literally running those as their websites for their critical business applications. That shouldn't be a thing, right? That shouldn't be something that's okay. That shouldn't be something where they sit down like, well, can we put a web application firewall in front of that? That would totally fix that, right? That shouldn't be allowed to happen. And if we actually go to an accountability framework, all of a sudden lawyers get involved, all of a sudden accountants get involved, and now they're really worried on making sure that they do things right. So that's one of the things I'd like us to move to. And I'm not saying that GDPR is necessarily like the best thing in the world, but I'm saying it's an alternative. An accountability framework, I think, is better than what we're doing here, saying here's the 400,000 things that you should do to secure your environment. And I apologize profusely to my friends that work in compliance, that work very hard, 
Most of them, they do a great job. They work very hard in trying to do the right thing. But I would argue to them that even though they're doing the right thing and trying to do the right thing, that the vast majority of organizations use compliance as a crutch as something that they absolutely meet the absolute minimum. And we need to change that. And I say that because we pen test companies break in relatively easily, not that hard, barely an inconvenience. And when we talk to them, they're like, well, we were compliant in all of these areas. Once again, compliance is not security. So how does this relate to ransomware? It's not a direct relation to ransomware, but I feel like it has given organizations an out to create the minimum level of security that they have to adhere to. And they're doing the right, the right thing in quotes, and it's given them a pass. And I'm going to come back to this pass again here in just a little bit. So I know there are people who are like, so you're going to blame compliance for absolutely everything? No, but it absolutely has its fair share of blame in this industry as well. Management. This, I, this is this is like shooting fish in a barrel. I know that this is an easy target, right? It's like the Monty Python script of the professional boxer boxing a girl who's like nine years old in a yellow dress. It's not it's not hard. Like you're not brave in coming on a webcast and saying, you know what? One of the problems is management. People like that guy. He's a thought leader. But <laughs> I think we would do a disservice if we didn't talk about it a little bit. And I want to talk about it from the perspective of some of the bad management quotes that we've seen. So the first one is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I literally had a CEO of a major company in the United States tell that to me. Like all of their web servers were running on Windows 2000. They've upgraded them since then. And whenever I sat down, I'm like, look, these web servers are a train wreck. We've got SQL injection all over the place, and this is bad. He, you know, kind of a Texan Western accent. like, well, I'll tell you what, son, they're working, and they've worked for a long time. And I don't know, if it ain't broke, I don't see a reason why I should fix it. Finally, <laughs> I don't have to be the fastest one in the woods running from the bear. I just have to be faster than the slower guy. What he failed to understand is the bears in the woods that are chasing you have rocket packs, AK-47s, flamethrowers, and they kill indiscriminately. He had this whole view that everything the IT team was trying to tell him to try to secure his stuff was a bunch of geeks trying to do cool things with technology and trying to take his money. The only way I convinced him that he needed to upgrade his web infrastructure is I opened up websites of his competitors and note showed him that his competitors were running the newest version of Microsoft Windows on their servers. And at that point, he couldn't handle the fact that someone was shinier and newer than him. And he actually started putting money into trying to fix his security. Now, his security team, were they idiots? No, they were really sharp. The fact that they were able to keep that crap up and running and not like letting it go down in flames was amazing. Next one, this can't be a critical. We fight companies all the time and we have really solid customers at Black Hills Information Security where they come to these webcasts, we train them and they literally do what we tell them to do. So that's great, but I still have customers where I go through, we find a vulnerability, we take advantage of that vulnerability, move laterally across the entire organization and they go back to a hardening guide or they go back to a compliance document as though they've got me. And they're like, oh, I noticed 
that you actually took over the entire environment using group policy preference files, which is a vulnerability that's existed since 2008. But, Mr. Strand, can you tell me exactly where in this hardening guide it says we should remove group policy preference files? Like, they're completely freaking ignoring the vulnerabilities that were discovered because there's no guide that tells them that it should be a vulnerability that they should address. I've seen this with group policy preference files. I've seen this with seven freaking character passwords. Again, PCI. We've seen it time and time again. One of my favorites, we were pen testing an, uh, an energy company and found a low vulnerability. I've talked about this in a number of my classes, a low vulnerability that was a Telnet server that the banner was no authentication required to access that Telnet server. That's a freaking critical, everybody. That is a critical. But because Nessus told them it was low, they wanted to argue with me and fight with me because the magic tool told them it was low. We see this as a problem that shows up again and again and again. Another great quote, uh, CJ, the man right over there, he's totally, somebody said, is that a bathroom? No, it's not a bathroom. Um, but uh, it'd be cool if people could turn it into a meme. You know, um, The favorite quote that he wanted me to add into this was, we are not X company, we are not a target. We hear this all the time from companies that are relatively small to medium sized. And they're like, you know what? We're not Coca-Cola, so we don't have to have coca-cola level security or we're not ge like you expect us to have av installed on everything who do you think we are ups you always have people like creating the straw man of what they think the height of security is and then they basically say they don't have to meet that level and this becomes like this weird firing circle where you have finance, they're like, well, we're not DOD. We don't need to have DOD level security. You go to DOD and they're like, we're, we're DOD. We don't need to have the level of security of a bank. And then you literally have no one ever say that about a university. But the point is, everybody likes to kind of look at everything else and say, well, a hacker would clearly go after them first. Once again, the, the grizzly bears have jetpacks, flamethrowers, and AK-47s. Like it, It's not like they're going to look at your company and be like, hmm, too small. There's not going to be an impact on anything whatsoever because we're not like GE, right? The other quote, and I'm going to get to this here in a little bit in a lot more detail, and I'm going to probably piss some people off, but security is a cost center. And this gets into like kind of this MBA mindset where absolutely everything has to be the relentless pursuit of profits at all costs. And that means if you're looking at something like security, it's a cost center, you have to minimize the amount of money that's spent on security. You have to minimize what's actually being done. And I honestly believe that the compliance problem is part of this problem. Because having people fill out spreadsheets and fill out documents and fill out questionnaires with 600 freaking questions keeps them busy and out of your hair. When you're looking at the security as a cost center, you see this problem permeate again and again and again and again, not just in security. 
Like right now, trying to buy a freaking two by four is next to impossible. Right now, buying a new car is next to impossible. And yes, the problem is kind of COVID, but not really COVID. COVID was just the trigger. If you want to go watch some videos on just-in-time inventory. It was originally created by Toyota and how you can create your supply chain to reduce your inventory as much as humanly possible. Um, there's a YouTube video on it, a number of YouTube videos on it. If you can, somebody can post it in. And there's a point to this, right? So companies looked at their inventory. They looked at what Toyota did back in the 50s and 60s, where they became just an automotive powerhouse, and they did it through just-in-time inventory. And what all these companies did is read the Cliff Notes version of just-in-time inventory, which is like reduce the inventory, have things show up just in the time that they're needed, reduce overall costs, and makes your efficiency so much better. They didn't bother reading the rest of the book that Toyota produced, which is interesting because Toyota is relatively okay right now, and I'll talk about that. So they reduce their warehousing, they reduce their inventory as much as they possibly can. You get a pandemic, you draw everything down, demand spikes, you've broken the entire system. Now, the reason why, there it is, um, the cause of the 2021 shortage. Now, the reason why I'm using this analogy is security is the exact same damn thing. We continue to push down the cost of security as much as we possibly can, and it's okay because we're making profits, we're making more money, life's good. We get hacked, and then we're screwed, like horribly, and then it's really, really super expensive right after that. So you see this mentality of management for things like just-in-time inventory, and you see it progress into reduce your cost centers as much as you can, get profits to be maximized as far as you possibly can, be there beholden to the shareholders as much as you possibly can, and then something bad happens, and then everything is broken. So when we're looking at management, we absolutely have to listen to what management is telling you. Like they'll say things like, well, computer security is very important. And then you talk about actually implementing, um, implementing good security. And then they come back and they're like, well, you know, that's kind of expensive. Maybe we can push this initiative off, or maybe we're going to do this initiative, you know, after we get these three other ones done, but they constantly push back on the cost of doing good security. And the biggest cost of doing good security is people. There's a ton of companies out there where they will spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on products and on services. But when it comes to hiring more people, screw that. You know why? The reason why is going back to management and a lot of MBAs and how they actually set this stuff up is they're trained to basically squeeze as many hours out of you as possible when you're salaried because those are free hours. The thought process is this. You hire someone for a 40-hour job. You make that person work 60 hours. You just got a half of a resource, a half of an FTE for free. You make them work just 25% over time. That's a quarter FTE for free. You get four people. Congratulations. You have one free employee, and these people are working overtime just because it's part of their job and it's expected of them, and you can keep that cost low for people. Because people are expensive. So this is a problem. And I really, really, really think you need to look long and hard at the organization that you work at to see if that's the attitude. And hell, it even uh, popped up at BHIS. We were in a meeting once and someone told me, it's like, well, we're expected to work like 50 hours here. And I'm like, hell no. 
That is not what I want. I don't want employees that burn out. I don't want to maximize my freaking profits because what happens in security when you start doing that is the effectiveness of your security personnel go down, not up. If you make someone work 50% overtime, they're not 50% more effective. They're actually at about 70% effective because they're burnt out and they're depressed. So that's one of the problems that we have in security. We're burning people out. Next one, vendors. Once again, another easy target. Am I right? Vendors, right? Liars. But it's true. It's absolutely true. When you're looking at vendors, they're constantly trying to sell their product as the silver bullet. And God help anybody that gets in the way. You know, and there's multiple stories about how vendors get real twitchy when someone starts like tripping on their sacred cash cow. You had Symantec at DerbyCon a number of years ago. They had a booth and they were talking about how their new SEP version was not hackable and no one could bypass it. Well, some the jackass that was working at the booth was like, I give any of these attackers here, uh, give them a crack at SEP. There's no way they'll get by it. And they were telling that to all these people at freaking DerbyCon. So Jay Beal and, and Guardians and BHIS got together. We bypassed their product. It took like five minutes. And then we put that video on a loop. He wasn't happy. Not because he lied and he got caught. No, that's exactly. He lied and he got caught. But this shows up again and again. Back in the time when we were kind of a little bit of a beef with Silence, we're now BFFs, everything's fine. Silence threatening to sue people that would come up with bypass techniques. We look at NSS Labs threatening to sue um, CrowdStrike, or sorry, CrowdStrike trying to stop NSS Labs from releasing the reports. We see this again and again and again, where the vendors basically say that they will create a product that no one can get bypassed, and this is zero you know, trust security, and then zero false positives, and all this garbage. And it's almost like we let it slide because we're afraid. We're afraid of the vendors. We're afraid of their attorneys. We're afraid of their VC money that if we actually speak truth to power, we're terrified that they're going to come back to us. And I've had our customers, when we bypass a product, get calls from the vendor saying, hey, BHIS bypassed this particular product and BHIS did a blog post on it. And we know it was them because they named the executable this thing. And uh, we know it came from them. You know, in our contract language, it says you're not allowed to talk publicly about that. That language in your contracts that says you can't talk about your vendors is illegal. Consumer Fairness Protection Act basically has made it so you can talk whatever you want about any vendor you want. You can shout it from the top of mountaintops. No one's going to listen because there's not a lot of computer security at the top of the mountains. But anyway, you get the idea. Um, you absolutely get the idea. So we need to continue to keep these vendors accountable. And like I mentioned with Silence, we have a good relationship with Silence now. And I believe that part of it was that we weren't going to put up with the crap of the old guard that was running it before. Now, you know, if we find some vulnerabilities, they set up calls, we sit down and talk to them about how they can make their product better. It's a better world. And that's the way it should be. People are held accountable for what actually happens as well. Also, for you and your management, you're constantly chasing these bright, shiny objects. And when you have a GUI that was created by some amazing UI firm in Israel that looks so good, you just want to like curl up to it and look at, ah, GUI's so tasty. That's why they call it a GUI. We end up buying those things. We end up believing that that product can do what it's saying that it can do and trusting it completely. And we really, really need to get past that. My final bullet point on this is 
whenever you're around vendors, and by the way, I've, I've been around a lot of vendors. I've been around a lot of people in the industry that are in the vendor, like VC funding space. And it really makes me very sick to my stomach because the people that are in, associated with these companies that are actually running um, the CEOs, the CFOs, the management, the board of directors, they don't give a shit if the product is really good. They don't care. I'm sorry. They just don't care. The only thing they manage, they, 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 talk, they talk about all the time is their exit strategy. We're going to build this product and we're going to go IPO and we're going to be millionaires because now we're on the stock market. We're going to build this product and then we're going to get bought by somebody like Amazon or another VC firm. And they're going to buy our product for like $900 million. They don't care about the product. They don't care about what the product does or it doesn't do. If you look at the amount of money that they pay on executive salaries and on marketing, it dwarfs the amount that they actually spend on research and development. They spend more on UI than they spend on the fundamental components and the logics of their products. And this isn't like a secret. It's something they talk about all the time. It's just you ain't invited. There's a big party and you're not invited to that party and they don't care. And you have these funds, these companies that are constantly like sinking a million dollars into this company, $2 million into that company, $4 million into that company. They honestly, they'll do basic due diligence to see if there's a possible viable product. But what they're trying to do is to continue to invest in multiple of these products because they know one out of 10, one out of 20 is going to pop and be a magic unicorn that sells for like a billion dollars. They're going to make out like bandits. So understand with a lot of these vendors, that that is their goal. Their goal is not securing your network. Their goal is to IPO. Their goal is to minimize their total amount of costs, maximize their profits so that whenever they sell, they have a balance sheet that looks amazing. Because if they were spending money on the product like they should, that would mean there would be less profits. And that means if there's less profits, that means they sell the product or they sell the company for less money. And those are the people that are running things. So there's another problem that you have here as well. So I got a question. This quote, I've said this quote. A lot of my friends have said this quote. And, I'm, and I want to call out this quote and I want to say it's garbage. I want to say it's absolute complete rubbish and we need to stop saying it. And the quote goes something like this in various incarnations of it. It basically says, if it's, if, there's, if it's a fight between security and the business unit, the business unit always wins. And I've said that on these webcasts. I've said that at conferences in front of people. And I was wrong. And everybody else that said it was wrong. We were all wrong. Sorry, all the InfoSec luminaries, we all got together. We said that this was the right thing. Sorry, we're wrong. And the reason why we're wrong is it does a couple of things from a psychological perspective. The first thing that it does wrong is it creates division. It's predicated on the assumption that security and the business are two separate things, and they are not two separate things. Security should not be looked at as a cost center. It should be looked at as just the freaking cost of doing business. 
And this bothers me because, like I said, I've been saying it for a long time. And what this immediately does is a whole bunch of security professionals, whenever they're going through and, and they're, they're arguing with the business unit and the business unit's like, yeah, we could totally upgrade that AS400 that's at the heart of our bank or that uh, Solaris Spark server that's running all of our stuff for satellites at DOD or our SCADA ICS OT technology. Mm, we can't do that because that's expensive. That's a load of garbage. These companies make millions of freaking dollars. I don't understand, other than trying to maximize their freaking profits, why it's so hard to go through and update technologies. Why? Why like someone will sit down and be like, oh, well, you know, it cost us like $100 million to, to upgrade this particular software that was written in the 90s. So we aren't going to do it. By the way, our profits were just shy of a billion dollars for this quarter. Good job, everybody. Do you see the problem? It's not about trying to make things secure. It's about trying to reduce the cost as much as possible. So there's actually an analogy. It's a horrible analogy, but it works. The any country that goes to war will fund and equip their soldiers at the absolute minimum amount that they feel is necessary to win the battle. That's when you hear that and you start to think about it, talk to people that went to Afghanistan and they went to Iraq and talk about Humvees and up armoring and how they had to do a bunch of stuff on their own. And all of a sudden it starts to kind of make sense. You do the absolute minimum that you do need to do because you know what? There's profits out there. There's beautiful, beautiful profits. And what they don't understand is that short-term gain is a long-term freaking loss. Going back to um, Toyota, Toyota came up with just-in-time inventory. What's happening now with inventory? Totally not their fault because if you look at what Toyota is talking about, they're talking about constantly evaluating the supply chain, looking for possible weaknesses and contingencies, and making sure that the supply chain can handle those contingencies and those weaknesses whenever they show up. Like I said, it's literally like a bunch of freaking MBAs read the outside of a book, and then they do what the outside of the freaking book says or what the cover says, and then they ignore all the details associated with it. Because one of the things that I'm constantly constantly talking about whenever I get into companies that are like, well, you know, security is expensive, business unit profits. When? When are you going to upgrade your OT? When are you going to upgrade your AS400 at the heart of your, of your bank? When are you going to upgrade your medical equipment? When are you going to push on your vendors and require your vendors whenever you sign a freaking contract with that software that there's going to be a maintenance plan associated with that contract that includes retirement and upgrade capability. When? Because right now the way it works, everyone's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if you look around the industry right now with ransomware, the way it's going, guess what? It's broke, folks. It absolutely is. And we're failing to miss or we're failing to catch the damn point. And what we're doing is we're going back to the vendors, trying to buy more products to solve this problem for us. So some helpful reference points. The next time some InfoSec thought litter idiot like myself says that if it's between the business unit and security, the business unit wins. These are all examples of where the business unit won until they didn't. Business units for maximizing profits, 
thought there was a lot of money to be made. There was good business unit reason for shoving children down into coal mines. They're small, you see. So you don't have to build the tunnels quite as big. And that makes it really, really effective. Airbags. We don't need to have airbags in cars. That's expensive. And if we have to put airbags in cars, we're going to have to pass the cost on to the consumers. And that's going to reduce our competitive advantage in the global marketplace. Well, all of a sudden you push laws that say, hey, you got to have airbags. Um, having insurance. A lot of companies are required to have insurance. Seatbelts, same as airbags. Johnson & Johnson baby powder. Well, we're going to basically mine this baby powder out and, oh my God, it might actually be in with asbestos. We totally could separate that out, but that would be hard and really, really expensive. So we're going to basically give a whole bunch of uh, baby powder that has cancer-causing agents in it. Business unit one, Upton Sinclair, the jungle. When you're talking about our food, yeah, you know what? If that beef has to stay in that locker that's at like 98 degrees for another 24 hours, it's probably going to be okay. People just cook it thoroughly. It's probably going to be just fine. No one's going to get sick from that. And uh, you know what? We're going to make more money because I, I don't have to pay for refrigeration or sanitization or any of those things. Every single one of these examples is basically going back to saying the business unit won until it didn't. And the question that somebody asked me, and uh, like, like I said, started out this question is, when do the business units start to lose to security? Not saying that business shouldn't happen, but they can't use that as a shield to basically stop doing good security in an organization as well. All right. I want to give you some warning signs to get out. These are warning signs whenever we're um, doing a pen test for a company, we're working with a company, we're doing security as part of security operations center with a company. These are warning signs that this company is going to be a nightmare to work with. And we probably don't want to work with this company again. Number one, legacy always wins. If you're working in a company that basically says legacy always wins, like the legacy, oh, we can't upgrade that server. That web server is running the specific software package. And, and the last time we tried to update that software package, well, it crashed. So we don't put any patches against that. Go back to the AS400 example. Go back to example for OT. And you just goes healthcare and all of that. If OT always wins, that is a really big problem. Okay. If that's, if that's their, their number one rule, it's like we can't touch that. We've got sacred cash cows. We cannot actually go through and upgrade that because well, that stuff's old. And they don't give you a timetable of when or what the plan is to get rid of it. That is a sign that there's something fundamentally wrong. The business unit is constantly winning and you will always lose. More concern about saving face than security. This is rare, but it happens. There are times where we test a company or we do incident response with a company and they get mad when we find vulnerabilities or they try to box us as much as possible where they're basically like, we want you to pen test. You're going to start from that notebook computer system that's on a VLAN that's completely isolated and has no internet access. Uh, good luck. It's like, is that how all your notebooks are? No, that's how we're setting you up, Mr. Pentester. They're trying to set it up so that they can prove that they can't be hacked by setting up a ridiculous situation that's not representative of their security so they can go back to the board of directors and they can say that they're secure. We had a, we had a customer. Um, oh my God. So we had a customer, um, I think it was, I think it was like three, four months ago. So 
this particular customer um, had a pen test from us. It was a web application security assessment. And in our web application security assessments, we have methodology where we talk about everything that we do and uh, all, all the vulnerabilities that we discovered. And then at the end, we basically talk about, you know, you know, here's the actual vulnerabilities in an itemized list and we break it up, we move it, we do all these different things. But in this particular test, um, we ran an automated scan because you have to do that for table stakes. But then we pivoted and we started looking at business logic errors associated with the web application and um, found a couple of business logic errors. There were some specific ones they wanted us to look at um, that were last minute things which cut into the time. Oh, by the way, they cut the beginning of the test down by two days. Um, so we missed two days of actual testing and we got done at the end. The customer looked at the report where we found business logic errors, an actual critical vulnerability. And they were like, I don't know, whenever I get a pen test report, usually there's like a whole bunch of cross-site scripting and informational findings from the automated tool. And you're talking about just two or three vulnerabilities. Clearly, this is horrible. Black Hills Information Security, you're a bad pen testing company. And you know nobody should ever do business with you. And that's what I'm going to tell my board of directors. The reason why he was saying that is he wanted to save face as much as he possibly could. He wanted to ignore the fact that, yeah, we ran an automated scan. Yeah, it found a bunch of informational and medium level vulnerabilities, but he was worried about losing his freaking job if he went through and found vulnerabilities and he said he would never work with us again. That's fantastic. The reason why I love that is that's a win-win. They don't have to work with us in the future and I don't have to work with them again, ever. So when somebody is trying to hide vulnerabilities, downplay vulnerabilities, ignore vulnerabilities in a pen test, and that is their primary goal, that is a warning sign to you to get out. If it's an incident response gig and their number one concern is that, well, we want to make sure that this doesn't get to the press and we don't want to let law enforcement know and we're going to give you a bunch of non-disclosure agreements. And yes, we know that there's breach disclosure laws, but we're going to try to ignore those as much as we possibly can. If that's the primary goal, get out. It's time to leave. One thing I can talk about what's public with Colonial. Um, and the one thing that I'm very proud of what Colonial did is their decision. Well, a couple of things. Their decision to shut down and notify as quickly as possible. God damn, that's the way it's supposed to be done, folks. You don't bury your head in the sand. You don't sit around and try to hope that maybe, just maybe, no one will notice that you got hacked or that their credit cards are now being used. Get out in front and own it. It's much better to do that than to sit on things for weeks, if not months. And yes, I'm looking at you, Equifax. All right, you have to fight for absolute basics. If you're working at a company and you have to fight for the absolute most minimum things, get the hell out. An example of this that is like really, really imperative is uh, like companies that are still using Telnet on their switches and routers. I was, uh, we were working with a company um, that worked with transportation and they were running Telnet on absolutely everything. They didn't have SSH enabled. And when I talked to their, their administrators and their, their, their network administrators, they were basically like, well, Telnet's the way that you configure switches and routers, you idiot. Like somehow my beard isn't gray enough and I'm not old enough like to, to remember when that was a thing in the freaking nineties. And I had to fight them tooth and nail to get them to shut down Telnet and just freaking switch to SSH. I literally had one of their administrators, one of their lead network administrators go, well, now I got to install an SSH client on my computer. Like that's your level of burden. 
I came to find out he was still running Windows 7 because Telnet was still there. He refused to go to 10 because you have to install it. But if you're in an environment that you have to fight for the absolute basics, the absolute minimum things, then this isn't a company that believes in security. This is a company that you need to leave as well as possible. Things never get better. Like I see so many organizations, folks, where we test them in year one and it's bad and we get to year two and all of a sudden they're amazing and they're doing a great job of securing their environment. This happens all of the time. And one of the joyous things for us at Black Hills Information Security is after we've tested a company for like three, four years to basically tell them, you know what? You've skunked us. You've learned everything you can from us, Grasshopper. It's now time for you to go to Secure Ideas, go to Trusted Sec, go to Inguardians, go to another firm, go forth, be free, go, go, go talk to um, Rendition, 40 North, go, go talk to Red Siege, go talk to these companies, go forth, be free. And then when those owners of those companies call me and they're like, what the living hell did you do to this company? Because I have a tester that's having a nervous breakdown with a bottle of whiskey. That's success. And I'm telling you this because I want you to know it is absolutely possible for an organization to have a change of heart and to actually start securing their environments and doing it right. And it doesn't take that long. It really doesn't take that long. So if you see these signs, leave. I know that that seems a bit harsh. And I know some people are like, well, you just expect me to quit my job and go someplace else? Yes. Why? I, I don't know if I agree with this, but right now, cybersecurity talent crunch to create 3.5 million unfulfilled jobs globally by 2021. I've heard over 500,000 of those jobs are here. And if you're working in a company, congratulations, you're one of the precious few. You're one of the people that is in a position where you can leave. You have experience. You're working with an environment. You're going to float right up to the tippy top of that resume list. Take advantage of that. All right. Take advantage of that. You absolutely can. You can. It just takes some time. All right. So where do we go from here? This is bad. Um, like I said, I'm not I, like I do these. I'm like, I want to have a fun webcast again where I talk about technology and I'm like, this is really cool. Check this out. This is fun. I, I don't want to be ranty John Strand um, anymore. But where do we go from here? First, we need to take control. I'm going to go through this like relatively quickly, but we need to take control. This means doing brown bank lunches. This means doing newsletters. This means you becoming the touchstone of security in your organization. You need to be that person. You need to be that kind, gentle, listening person that everyone says, I sat down and he helped me set up my, my password. She sat down with me and she walked through how I can set up LastPass or how I can set up AdBlock Plus in my browser. And she was so helpful. Be that person. Don't be a jackass tech person where you're like, hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again and hanging up the phone? The world doesn't become a better place. No one likes you more. You aren't better. You don't get more attractive. You don't get more money. Don't be an a-hole. There's no upside, right? There's no upside other than your friends saying, hey, that was pretty funny. You put that person down. Way to go. 
Your management won't like it. Your customers won't like it. Your co-employees won't like it. And I also know from experience that you're not going to like yourself. So be that person that's going out and spreading joy and be that person that's excited about talking about computer security and trying to get your organization excited about computer security. Be that person. Narratives are our friend. Tell stories of companies that have been compromised in similar market verticals and what are the lessons that we can learn from them. And the other thing that you can do once you do that is if company X gets compromised, you can basically say, hey, uh, just for the record, we have the exact same vulnerability they do. They just touched the frying pan and found out it's hot. We're watching. We should learn from this and make sure that that frying pan is actually hot. Okay. All right. The key answer to every single problem in life, I believe the one answer that is universal, the one answer that is the truth is education. Education is the answer to everything. User awareness training is the answer. It's just a long, painful answer. Management getting up to date and learning security from you, the technical person that knows more than they do and being loving, caring, and gentle and explaining things, education is the answer. And that's one of the reasons why my classes are pay what you can. I have one coming up on cyber deception that starts up in a couple of weeks. Come hang out with me. Cyber deception is awesome. It's absolutely a necessity. And if you want to be on the cutting edge of your career, learn some cyber deception. We're going to drop a uh, link here in the chat here in just a section, second for the cyber deception class. It's pay what you can. There's no risk, folks. It's not like I'm asking you for a ridiculous amount of money or to bankrupt your family or not put shoes on your kid's feet. Show up. Pay what you can. Education is the answer. And we're trying to make that education for getting started as easy and accessible and on-ramp as we possibly can. Ah, but isn't that nice? Isn't that just really sweet? You got puppies, got some kittens. We just ended with like a class that you all can take for very little money on cyber deception. Life's good. Life's good. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I'm not done. No, no. I'm not going to scream into the microphone like him because it, I just can't do uh, Sam. What is it? Uh, Kennison? Uh, he'll do it. No, no, God. No. <laughs> so we're not done. We're not done. All right. The biggest problem in security is us, though. I know that this is kind of hard and the Kung Fu Panda thing is probably a little bit jarring. But one of the biggest problems in computer security is us because we allow this stuff to happen. We allow management to continue to push back on initiatives. We allow vendors to dictate what we define as computer security. We know what's better. And we also tear each other apart. It bothers me whenever a company gets hacked, a major company, that people in security don't rally around the security professionals at that company and reach out and try to help the professionals at that company. We blame the victims. And the reason why we blame the victims is because the further we are from them, the less likely it is that we're going to have to change something in us. So if we can put them in that category of other, they're incompetent, they're buffoons, and we can rip on the people from Equifax, and we can rip on the people from Sony, and we can rip on the people from Target, that the more we can put them in that other box, the more we feel good about ourselves. And that's not true because I know those people. 
I trained those people. And I know that they're hard workers and I know that they're trying to do the right things. They're just constantly fighting the same garbage that you have. And I guarantee you, many of those exact same vulnerabilities exist in your organization as well. So don't, don't tear each other apart. Don't rip on somebody. If somebody applies and they're from one of those companies, you need to cherish that resume and interview that person because they have battle scars. They've seen things, man. They've seen things and you want to work with them as well. And also another problem is a lot of security, especially whenever we look at how humans look at stuff, it's like magic. So like a magic trick, it's all about distraction. We have this thing that we're supposed to watch. And meanwhile, the magic trick happens in this hand. And I think that that happens and it's happening now. Because if we look at security right now, it's completely defined by ransomware. We're seeing ransomware attacks constantly um, in the news. Executives are worried about ransomware. We're worried about all of these different things. Back after September 11th, before September 11th, working in the intelligence community, working in DOD, we were focused on the Chinese. We were focused on the Russians. We were focused on traditional adversaries. And overnight, the entire profile of everything in the IC and DOD community switched over to terrorism. It was almost like all of those other things that we were working on stopped existing. And in many ways, for over a decade, our country was just focused on terrorism. A whole bunch of other initiatives were shut down. And I fear that the exact same thing is happening with ransomware. We're focusing on ransomware because it's in the news and that's what everyone's worried about. Meanwhile, you have China, you have Russia, you have a number of countries that are stealing intellectual property at a rate that is unprecedented. If you talk to people that actually know and track what the Chinese are doing, and I'm just using them right now because they're the big ones, the amount of data that they're pulling off of our networks in America in specific, and also in Europe and other places, is staggering. China's greatest single problem right now is how do they actually parse and deal with the amount of data that they've stolen from us? So the magic trick is we're going after this bright, shiny object here in ransomware, and we're completely ignoring the fact that ransomware, they let us know when they've hacked our networks. There's no dwell time after they've gotten what they want. They basically notify us immediately. And there are still attackers that are going after your networks, and they are absolutely dwelling for as long as they possibly can and trying to steal as much as they possibly can. And don't think for a second the U.S. doesn't do this, that other countries don't do this. And I'm not trying to create moral equivalency because I don't care. I care about people securing their data regardless of where they are. And we have to be better. And if we're waiting on these bright, shiny objects of ransomware and the greatest attack du jour, we're missing the point of what's hitting our networks right now. So I wanted to say thank you very much for hanging out as always. Um, we greatly appreciate it. And I know we went a little bit over. I apologize. Um, so if you can't hang out for post-show and I'll answer questions, um, take off, get out of here. Um, so I'll sit down and take some questions for a little while, if that's all right, Jason. Yeah. How long do you have? Oh, I've got about 15, 20 minutes. All right. All right. So the first question is, isn't it hard to figure out what made your attack fail in a black box engagement? 
It is. Um, and I think that that also gets back into my threat intelligence problem, where whenever you see threat intel talking about what APT Actor did, they saw what they did successfully. They don't see what they actually failed at. And any offensive operation basically is a lot of failure. Spearfish fails, payload delivery fails, you keep trying, you keep grinding. And then when you finally get success, then you move around. So yeah, you do run into problems. In pen tests, what we do many times, we work very closely with the customer. And if something doesn't work, we have no problem. If it well it depends on the type of engagement, talking with the customer and saying, "Hey, do you know what actually happened to this payload?" And they'll say, "Yeah, it got caught in our spam folder," or, "Yeah, the users caught it immediately, and they're now laughing at you." That's fine. Uh, John, this is just a comment for me. Do you think anyone's working on some kind of malware that protects an organization from ransomware so that they can continue hacking that organization so it doesn't get ransomware while they're trying to hack it? I don't think so right now. Um, I, I, I I like the idea, but what you're kind of talking about is like process mutex where malware would run and it wouldn't want to reinfect again and again and again. And then we've also seen instances where malware would literally try, like, like banking Trojans, would literally try to kick off other Trojans. Um, at this particular point, I haven't seen anything. The closest that I've come to seeing what you've described is some ransomware. If you have the Cyrillic language pack for Russian installed, it doesn't infect the computer system. Um, so that would be an example of it. But I'm absolutely certain that what you just said is happening. Um, I would totally see some nation state say, hey, if ransomware shuts down this organization, number one, we're burnt. Number two, we've lost access to all the data. And they basically try to, you know, basically clean things up. I have seen in the past where attackers have gained access to a network, fixed network infrastructure, patched and update systems. So they had a more stable platform. I have seen that in the past. Uh, what branch of government should be responsible for an accountability framework? DHS, NSA, FBI? Um, I would say probably DHS um, if I had to guess. Um, I don't think that FBI would want to get in the game of actually doing accountability and kicking out fines, but I don't know. I could be wrong. It'd probably be CISA uh, or a part of CISA under DHIS. How do you recommend compliance working better with security? I think that compliance can work great with security if you actually work with a compliance framework that's actually like associated with reality. Um, it, 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 you know, everyone knows my love for the critical security controls. And uh, James and Kelly Terrell are going to be releasing the common controls here a little bit. And it's simplifying what it is organizations should do, but it's keeping it at a higher level, right? So I think that that's number one. Number two, I think that adversarial emulation is key to all of this. Because if we're going to do something, whether it's certification, accreditation, compliance, we should be constantly testing and evaluating our organizations to see what's actually working to stop and detect those attacks. And that allows us to prioritize which compliance framework uh, things we have to implement. Where are we going to start? So by doing adversarial emulation and purple teaming, it allows us to see what's working, what doesn't work, and start backing into security based on that type of testing and execution harness. Any good templates for incident response plans? Um, none that I've seen in a while. I thought that SANS had some IR templates. Um, people can check that out. We'll just basically kick it out to everybody. If you have some good IR templates online, be, feel free to share them. Uh, do you want to talk about Rita and what it does and how it could potentially help? Is this because people haven't won bingo yet? Maybe. Okay. So if you haven't checked it out, 
Rita, right? So Rita is real intelligence threat analytics and kind of a big component of what we're seeing with ransomware is a lot of ransomware attackers, um, not even ransomware. I mean, sometimes they're not even using malware, but a lot of these attackers are gaining access by using backdoors that fly under the radar. If we're working with an attacker, like as an IR, and they're working with malware that can bypass AV, how do you detect that? And network level threat detection can work very, very well. And Rita is a free open source tool that does that. Um, so check it out. It is free. You can run it. We have a commercial product called AC Hunter that you should check out as well. And our SOC, um, our SOC, we actually install that on all of our customers. So if you're looking for a security operations center trying to change things up, um, we do Rita or we do AC Hunter with Rita. We do adversarial emulation for continuous testing and improvement. And then we also use cyber deception as well. Uh, and then if anyone's interested in our SOC, you can always type in the word SOC in the questions window and we can reach out to you about our SOC. Uh, if you're interested in our commercial product, just type in the word demo and then we'll reach out to you about demo. And and this isn't a sales pitch, uh, but kind of is. Like it's, yeah, it's good stuff. All right. Yeah. We gotta we gotta I, pay the bills somehow for all these free webcasts and zines and card games and everything. Oh, the zine is coming along so good, John. And oh, the, the new expansion, awesome. the new expansion deck for backdoors and breaches. Um, awesome. Uh, one last plug for myself before I go back to questions because I'm waiting for them to come in. If you have a question for John, feel free to ask it. Uh, if you heard John say "get out" and you're like, "Well, how do I get out of my job? Mm, how do I find a new good. job?" I have a live stream I do twice a week, Tuesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m., Fridays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern time. And I go through all the steps of how to find a new job. And we just hit 98 viewers that have gotten a new job. So we're close to the 100 mark. And we've hired a couple of them, too, at BHIS. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Does BHIS help folks set up HoneyNets, Docs, DBs, et cetera? Yes, we do. Um, as So what we do for deception for our SOC and our customers is – a lot of cyber deception vendors, they they want to install an agent on every single system, and I think that's dumb. Or they try to set up a bunch of honeypots that are Windows Server 2003 boxes, which I also think is dumb. Um, but if you look at the attack paths that an attacker takes, where they move post-exploitation, password spraying, and they try to do Kerber roasting, you can actually put deception relatively easily in those various components that an attacker is going to go through. So it's all about hunting and hunting in the appropriate paths where the attackers are going to go. And that's where we actually set it up for our SOC uh, for our customers. Because we know that some of the stuff that we're going to implement is going to fail. And we want to make sure that we have implements and catches and backups for anything that does fail in our SOC. All right, so uh, someone said, can you drop the link for the job? Where do you start an organization to start changing the culture, i.e. a system team that says a system can't be patched due to downtime in a 24-7 operation? Um, I recommend the power of a narrative. Um, so if you have a system that's not patched and you can bring in stories and narratives about companies that have been compromised for similar systems not being patched, that is very powerful. The second thing that's very powerful is proving it. Um, I'm, I, I believe the best pen testers in the world are auditors that got sick and tired of being told to prove it all the time. And if you can be an auditor and you can be a security professional and you say, hey, we need to patch the system and they say no, and you can dig around, you can actually get an exploit and launch it and prove that risk, that's power. Just trying to get caught up here, John. 
Uh-huh. You bet. I did have one. Uh, somebody sa- asked a couple of times, what is the worst advice you've ever seen um, with a uh, ransomware attack? And the worst advice, actually one of the worst things that I've ever seen is getting directly confrontational um, with the ransomware uh, attackers. I have seen an incident where they basically started communicating via chat with people at the ransomware and immediately started tearing into them and um, and just kind of ripping on them as criminals and how dare they. And that's just going to embolden and entrench the ransomware attackers. Um, if you want, you should look at uh, negotiation um, tactics that are used for like hostage situations. You never go into a hostage situation and say, hey, buddy, yeah, you got that person hostage. You're going to prison for a long time. What you're doing is breaking the law, mister. Um, it doesn't work. Um, it works better to flatter them. Basically say, hey, you guys, you know, I'm really, you know, excited to find out how you found the vulnerability to get into our environment. You guys must be pretty impressive hackers uh, to basically pull that off. Um, if we pay this ransom, are you also going to tell us how you got in? Because we'd love to see and hear how you did that. You're playing up their ego. And then the other thing that you're doing is whenever you're negotiating, you never negotiate and say, F you, I'm not paying. You always turn it into a third party scenario where you say, look, I know you're asking for like 4.5 million, but our insurance will only pay a million and I can get that turned around relatively quickly. Um, And is, is it possible that we could just get this done as fast as possible with my insurance company and kind of communicate that back and forth? So you never want to get confrontational. You want to get on their quote unquote good side as much as you possibly can be respectful and, you know, play up their ego. They're hackers. They just did something that was an attack. And if you can play that up, that you want to hear how they did it and what they did. And is this something that works on other environments? Get them talking. And that'll help. But actually look at um, look at negotiation tactics for hostage situations and utilize a lot of those things because um, it'll actually help you. Um, is email security, does, does email security work to stop the initial compromise when talking about ransomware? Yes and no. Um, if you have good solid email filtering, um, that can actually help. But there's always ways to bypass the filters. On email, so it'll reduce a tremendous amount of the attack flow that's coming in. But you do really want to make sure that that's not the only thing you're you're going to invest in as well. I think this is going to be the last question. How do we get companies to stop paying terrorists the ransom? Um, I like the change in terminology. That's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You don't. I'm sorry. Um, this is hard, right? Because you know, the United States policy is we do not negotiate with terrorists. And, you know, if you watch some documentaries about families that have had their kids over in like Iran or North Korea, and they've been in prison for years, it's it's gut-wrenching, right? Um, to, to basically read or see videos of what this child, this teenager, and this adult, this family member, this loved one is going through. And then basically going to the family and saying, yeah, you totally got to let that happen because if, if we take care of your loved one, they're just going to do it to somebody else. That's, that's hard, right? It's basically the equivalent of telling a company that, you know what, you just got to basically go out of business. Uh, go out of business, but do it for the rest of us. And by the way, your sacrifice won't automatically save us. It's got to be you and everybody else has got to do the exact same thing. And psychologically, this boils down to something called the tragedy of the commons, where you cannot expect altruism 
from people if they believe that other people are not going to be altruistic as well. So basically, you've got to give people a catch-all. So instead of you know paying the ransom, maybe insurance companies basically just come and say, we're going to help you rebuild. Uh, that might be what you do, but some companies won't be able to recover for it. So I don't believe that there's a set answer. And I also don't believe that punishing the victim and throwing them in prison or bringing charges against them is the right thing either. So that's that. All right, John, any final thoughts? Go forth and do great things, everybody. All right. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today for this Black Hills Information Security Act Countermeasures Law West Hack and Fest joint special webcast on ransomware. If you ever need a pen test for a team training, anything, you know where to find us. All right. We'll see you, John. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to end the webinar. I'm ending.